you feel that inside that you're not going to let go of this, that you know that it can be a success, even though everything around you is telling you that you should be normal and just quit and go back to the other job. To me, that perseverance is, I'm not going to let this go. Welcome to Access Points, the podcast where we discuss the tools, habits, and ideas that can help you achieve and maintain the leadership mindset so you can reach peak performance. Are you ready for your all-access pass to some of the top minds on the topic of leadership? Let's get started. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Access Points podcast. As always, Davin Marceau, Chief Operating Officer with Access eForms, here today again, as always, with our owner and CEO, Mr. Tim Elliott. How are you doing, Tim? I am doing great. It's great to be with you again, sir. In the most magical time of the year. The most magical, beautiful, cold time of the year. It's We are almost down to single digits before Christmas, and that just scares the life out of me. You want to be excited about it? I'm, I'm not a winter guy. I love summer. I don't like short days. I could never live in Alaska in the wintertime. But I know that I think it's December 22nd is officially the shortest day of the year. And I'm looking forward to the 23rd because it starts going the other way. Hmm. Yeah, the winter solstice, right? The shortest day of the year. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. is that the 22nd? I think so. We'll go with that. If it's yeah, not, sure. then we're going to speak confidently about it because others will believe us. And, 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 we and can... please put in the comments if I'm wrong and tell me <laughs> how bad I am. With yeah, Stephen, Stephen noted that. Thank you. But uh, it, it really is such an awesome time of year. And remember back to being a kid and there was nothing more exciting than the holiday season. Uh, you know, family gifts, receiving, giving the whole nine yards and, and the fact that you were out of school. And it's such a unique juxtaposition to being an adult and all of those things terrifying you because <laughs> the, you have to find a way <laughs> to support, provide, and pay for all yes, of those things so yes. you can maintain the magic of the kids. I'll, I'll never forget. I think it was when my kids were like three and four when it was the whole assembly required thing. I can remember getting them to bed and looking at my wife and going, oh, I have to read directions now. That was not magical Christmas to me. Because you know you, you can imagine me in directions. Directions mm-hmm. were not my friend because you have to follow like steps. Yeah. Yeah. How many times did the thing end up not looking like what the thing was supposed to look like? Um, it, it all it always came together in some form or fashion, but I was really I think I got better at deassembling because I'd forgotten something or I didn't follow the directions and reassembling again. Now, once that was done, I could have man just. Throw five of them at me. I can knock this out. The first one, eh, not so good. Well, it's that home form follows function thing, right? If it works, regardless of how many bolts or nuts or parts that were left over, if the thing can hold what it's supposed to hold or look like what it's supposed to look like, then I guess it's a win. Yeah, it was just, it was never a win. It was never, I never, I guess it finally got there. But man, the first iteration, um, if it was supposed to be a horse, it looked like a goat. And it was a goat with six legs. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like a story for another day. Um, so you, fair to say you didn't really have the discipline enough to follow the instructions to assemble this horse? Needless to say. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that flows nicely into the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, and that's the idea of the discipline entrepreneur. Cool topic. One that I think is, is really going to speak deeply to you, Tim, um, because of your background. Elon Musk came out with this article a couple of days ago. He spoke at some conference and whatever it was escaped me. And he was really lamenting about the fact that there's too many MBAs running companies these days and how as leaders, we are spending too much time on PowerPoints, too much time in the boardroom and on presentations and far too little time on the product or service itself. That resonate with you a little bit? 
Quite a bit, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like this guy more and more. And it certainly speaks to a lot of the listeners that we have, right? We, we are an entrepreneurial podcast. And Tim is an entrepreneur. We know that we have a lot of either aspiring or budding entrepreneurs that are listening to this. And I think there's a bit of a misconception about entrepreneurs, Tim. And I know this because I, I, I work closely with you and I see this is, <laughs> is that entrepreneurs are, are too free thinking. They're too willy nilly. They, they're too pie in the sky. And I think this draws a lot of, um, you know, parallels to Elon Musk when people think about what he's like, right? He's, he's a weird dude, right? But your days, your processes, your mind lacks discipline. And I want to challenge that a little bit. Yeah, let's do Let's go for it. Let's do that. And, and I want to break it down into, into three elements. And the first one we're going to talk about is thinking the elements of an entrepreneur. The first one is thinking. Second one is doing. And the third is growing. So I want to break it down thinking, obviously it's, it's the number one element of all this and it's what makes you, you right? this, this whole product about, about access. It came literally from your head, which terrifies the lights out of me, <laughs> but I want to, I, I want to speak to that a little bit. That and somebody could actually take what I created in my head and it's usable. That's what's really scary. Yeah. Right? It just, it doesn't again, yeah. topic for another day, <laughs> but dive into that a little bit for me. Yeah. So, um, every company that's ever existed in my mind anyway, um, started with, there's a problem to solve. And if you think about innovators, there's people who, you know, build these incredible devices. And I, I, I can remember, I can't remember what the movie was, Davin, but there was a movie about a guy and it was a true story um, that developed the intermittent wiper uh, for windshield wipers. And he, and he worked forever on this thing. He came up with a way to do it. But he, he couldn't do it himself. He couldn't produce it. It wasn't the, the end product was going to be something that someone else sold, built and sold. And so you think about a guy like that and every entrepreneur, every person says, you know, either A, someone needs to come up with a way to fix this or do this better. Or I see something out there and there's just got to be a better way to do this. And so... I think it all starts with seeing a problem and building something or creating something to fix the problem. And, and then it's almost a the second or third thought that you have is, Hmm, this would be really cool and this would work, but do I think I could make money at it? And so, and I don't know about all the other entrepreneurs, but I know for me, the first thought comes into how can I best fix the problem? And then afterthought is, can I monetize that, right? Is, is the value there for someone else other than me? Is the value enough to make this a product? Is the value enough to make this a company? And I know that, you know, probably there's not anyone existed that has been in business that didn't think I could do things better. And I was not unlike that. The difference, I think, in an entrepreneur is, and th your th thinking part, step one, is what can I do? How can I make this? What would it look like? How would it act? And then to think, wow, I think I can pull this off. I think I can create a company out of it. I think I can monetize it. The difference with an entrepreneur is a lot of times that entrepreneur doesn't, they see roadblocks. They think of what would cause me to not do this, but they see past that and they see you know, I know that's a roadblock. I don't know how to write software. I don't. Mm -hmm. And here I am coming up with a software product in my head. But I think, you know, I can find somebody that can do that. 
So that was a roadblock. I knew I could get around. And then the next roadblock is I don't really have never started a company before. Yeah, I know somebody that, that has done that before. I can figure it out. And so a lot of times an entrepreneur will think big and think and come up with what a solution to a problem might be. And then almost looks past all of the roadblocks it would take to starting for starting that company or to create that product. And, you know, I've, I've said this on the podcast before is if I knew then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad I didn't because you have this idea, you know, you can create something, you know, that it would solve the problem and you just go with it. So that's the, to me, that's where the think thing comes from. And even today, you know, I'm always taking what we do or taking what our customers tell us and think of thinking, okay, how can I fix that? Or how can I change the product to do what they want it to do? Or I hear the same problem three or four times and think, hmm, if they have the same problem, there, ha there has to be others. How can I take the product we have and make it fix that issue um, without really thinking down the line too far into what that is? Awesome. Um, and you came up when you were thinking about this product, you were, you were working at the time, was that it imaging or, or what were you doing at the time when, when you began to conceptualize what this product could be? Yeah. So we were, it was a means to an end. We were, uh, and I've talked about this on, uh, if you go back to some of the original podcasts, we kind of told the story, but yeah, at the time, um, I was in the family business, we were selling printers and, uh, there were larger, bigger printers and, so we need to find a way that our customers can get away from those pre-printed forms. There were tractor feed forms um, and move those to a laser based, you know, laser printer. Cause that's what we sold. So customers said, well, I'd love the printer. I'd love to have them. I'd love to print all my invoices off with these. However, you know, the problem is my computer system spits out code that only works with these kind of printers. And so we wanted to sell more printers. And so we had to come up with a solution to convert that language that those computers spoke to the printers into a language that worked with the laser printers that we had. And so the idea was if I could find a way to change that and create the software, we could sell more printers, which is really not what the software turned out to be. Now it did fix the problem and it did allow us to sell more printers, but you know, op when opportunities showed up to take that down other avenues, then that's where hmm, there's other problems this would solve. Okay. Awesome. And so you're, you're working, you're selling printers at the time, right? And you mm -hmm. start to come up with this idea mm -hmm. about here's what I think that it can do. Mm -hmm. And all the while you're married, you got Jamie at home, mm -hmm. you got the girls at home, mm -hmm. right? So here's where I think the discipline comes into play is how do you balance all of that out between having to provide, right? You're an aspiring entrepreneur at that point. Fair enough. You want to make something, you want to grow something that's different, but you have to balance that out with the selling of, with your existing job mm -hmm. and with being a ma or being a father, a father to two girls and, and a husband. So talk about that a little bit about how you balanced out that time. Like when did you find time to turn this thing into what it is today? Yeah. So it really came to the point where that first opportunity um, was a hospital that said we could we'd like to use this beyond just printing things. So we'd like to be able to put patient demographic information onto a form and then print that out at a location based on data. Right. Okay. And once we came up with a way to do that, once I came up with kind of the concept of what that would be, when, when it took, when I thought this could be something, that's where things changed. So 
back to your question, when I said this product could stand on its own and be its own company, that's when you get into, wow, so I have this job and I could create this and have this going. So now I've got two things going. Mm -hmm. So it's like having two careers going at once. You know, I, I think that the first career was where the money was coming in to support my family. The second one was pure outgo. But you see the upside. And so I think the discipline comes from the dream of the upside of what can this be? You know, what can the product be? And where can I take this and how far can I take this is what drives me to have the discipline to do the after hours things. In other words, to, to go sell printers and to manage that company at the same time at night and the weekends off hours to spend the time to create this other idea. Um, and so I think that's driven for me. It was driven. That discipline was driven from number one, had to do A and B was I saw the upside and I saw the potential and I didn't want to do anything that would ruin my chances of making this thing what it could be. And so I was driven by the upside of um, creating something awesome and making a company that was awesome that was a real niche. So the discipline came from the idea, the, the, the passion for the idea. Okay. And, and so I, I think a takeaway for our listeners on that is, is you do have to have a level of, a level of self-discipline. It has to come from the love of your dream, but also balanced against the fact that you still have to provide for your family because it, it there's a certain point where you can monetize this thought, but it's not going to be in, in the initial effort. It's not going to be in, in, in the thinking element of it. So mm. make sure that you have the discipline, make sure that you have the balance enough to not put too much focus on the growth of this. And then you lose your revenue, your, your, current revenue source mm -hmm. because then your dream's going to die out even faster. Is that fair? Anything else yeah, to add it, to that? No, it is, it's, it's, it goes in the concept of you do what you got to do, right? So when, when there are times of survival as a family, as an individual, you know, I, a, a career over here is what provided that. Um, the B side was this is the upside potential of what I could do. And the passion behind that is what led that. So discipline on the left was survival. On the right for B was the upside of what it could be, and the passion is what drove the discipline on that side. So it was it was actually discipline in two different ways. On A, for the current career was survive. I've got to have this to survive. B, the new product, new potential was I'm passionate about this, and the discipline came from what this could be, the, the passion behind what this could be. Got it. And for me, somebody that's, that's a non-entrepreneur, it's it's a little bit foreign to me because I'm like so in the first 90 days did you put 33 percent of your effort towards towards access and 66 percent of your effort towards towards selling printers and how did yeah. you know the point to go to 50 percent and then 33 percent like but even even outside of that again like I see where the self-discipline comes into play and I see where you have to be able to understand what drives you understand what motivates you understand what provides while still chasing that dream and within those things again I think there's a tremendous amount of self-discipline. There is, you know, I didn't think about that. Um, it wasn't a thought. I didn't, you know, like I said, with, with the current career, it was, it was survival. This is what I have to do in order to make my house payments, to make sure my kids were fed. And I still loved doing that and it was good, but seeing the upside of this product of what it could be 
was a completely different game. It was, it was something I'd never experienced before, Davin. And so, it, you know, a lot of people think, oh, that was really fun. You know, it's not about the fun. It's really not. It's about seeing potential in something and spending as much time and effort as you have to make it great. So if, you know, you think about your kids, right? You see them as small kids, but you see potential in them. And tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, discipline with your kids, with you being consistent with them, doing the things you know that you have to do only goes so far, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's times that you want to run out of the house kicking and screaming and saying, I can't do this anymore. And so what brings you back to the house again and again to keep trying? And that's that you see the potential in your kids. You see what they could be. You see what you have dreams of what their life could be. And we all want our kids to have a better life than we had. And so that's what keeps you coming back over and over again. So, you know, that's, that's the exact same thing I felt for this new organization was I saw the potential in what it could be. And that's what kept bringing me back to continue to work on that over and over again. So it's a, kind of an interesting parallel between the two is the discipline. I know I'm a parent. I have to do this, right? I signed up for this versus I also keep coming back and doing this over and over again when everything in my brain tells me I can't be a parent because you see the potential in what those kids are. And it was the same with this product. No, I love that. And for me, part of the reason that I keep coming back is because if I kick them out, I don't know who the heck's going to clean the kitchen. And I, <laughs> I hate cleaning the kitchen, so I got to keep them around for, okay. for that for that alone. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> All right, number two, um, turning the product or the idea into a product. The rubber meets the road on this, and this yeah. is number two, it's doing. And Musk spoke a lot to this, and it's about this this need to make the product perfect or make it the best that it can be in the doing phase. So speak to that a little bit about the timeline for access, about about when you finally made the decision, Tim, to go from concept and make this thing executable and turn it into a small business. Yeah, that's honestly, that's the hard for me. That was the hardest part is, you know, the dreams and the thoughts and the the whiteboards and the the scripting and the, you know, notes and the notepad and the drawing designs of what the screen could look like, that was all fun because it was endless possibilities. And you can change the product with an eraser and a pencil, right? When it came down to actually building it and coming up with how it would actually work, boy, that was the hard part because you, you, you constantly get, well, this isn't possible. You can't technically do this or you can't do this because of this and this and this. And so that's where you kind of have to go, okay, so I've got to tear this sheet out and rewrite this because I've got to change conceptually how this is going to work, but it still needs to fulfill the purpose that I dreamed of it having. And so that's those roadblocks that you don't see. And that's the hard part. And it's not just people telling you that it can't be done or that somebody else has already done it. I mean, you know, I'm pretty hard. You know me, I'm kind of hard headed. If, when people tell me that, that just makes me want to do it more because I just want to prove them wrong. But having the discipline to stick with it is I, I knew what it could be and I wasn't going to stop until I got it there. And having a product that, you know, if, if you look at it in reality, it was probably 70% or 65% of what I dreamed it would be. But I, I, that didn't really bother me because I knew all that I'd gone through, all the roadblocks, all the no's, 
all the workarounds, all the, you know, you finally get something and it's, it's not a hundred percent what I thought it would be, but it's 65%, but I can work with that. I can, I can continue to work on this and make it better. But, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast. I got to get this thing to market. You know, there comes a time when, you know, you get the first customer that writes you a check and they see value in it. And that's probably, you know, you think about all the parts of our company. We've been around 20 something years. Proudest day is when the very first purchase order came across. And it's like, it's one thing for me to think it's great. It's another thing for someone to believe in it and write you a check. And that's when you know, okay, there's value to somebody um, on what we've built here. And then to get the second one, and I think it was the third one was the validation that the first one could have been an anomaly. The second one, maybe they were confused. The third one, okay, we may have something here. But up to that point, there were so many things that were game changers, showstoppers. You know, I don't think we can pull this off. Everything we'd base this concept on, printers or whatever whatever it is, can't do that or don't handle don't speak that way or there's not the capability in what we have to work with that's the stuff that you have to stop and go what can it do let's work within those parameters so the second part of that is understanding what you have in front of you every day working around those and then taking the challenges you have in the next day and working around those so it's constantly a negotiation with the product it's constantly a negotiation with myself. Am I willing to continue on with this concept and this product, even though I know that with the technology that's there today, I can't do this part. And there were a few times, I'll be honest, I, I started to just turn around and say, you know what? I don't think it's time. I need to wait two years until technology's caught up with, you know, what my head, where my head is. I'm not saying that I'm that far ahead, but I knew there was something I wanted the product to do, and technically it couldn't do it. The technology wasn't out there to make it work. And I knew if I waited long enough that it would be there. So I had to decide, do I wait or do I move forward with what I have? And I'm really glad I moved forward with what I have because by the time two years came around, not only was that technology changed, but I didn't really want to do that anymore, what I thought I wanted to do. Because now the technology allowed me to do X, Y, Z, which was 10 times better than what my head had envisioned this thing to do when I first started. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. So we talk a lot about the doors in your head, the bubbles that turn into the doors. Scary, and, yeah. scary doors. And it opens up another door and you you walk through seven or eight different doors and you're in a completely different lobby than anybody else in the building or I, I would argue in the world at that time. Or basement, depending on. <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> it, it, that's that's a day-to-day -day thing. Um, but how do you how do you break that down? How did you apply that again from your doors and your bubbles to an executable product? And I was I'm a little bit surprised to hear you say you were willing to an arbitrary threshold at 65. percent So mm -hmm. how did you take it from Tim's bubbles, Tim's doors into a product and be willing to release it to the market at 65 percent? Talk me through that a little bit because I, I think I think there's a lot there. So you know today it's different. So if you think about the way a product happens at Access today. It's extremely different than what it was at the beginning. The only person I had to negotiate with was myself at the beginning, right? So when I would run into a roadblock, it wasn't one of my team telling me I can't do this. It wasn't someone saying, well, I'm not sure that's a great idea because it was just me. And so all I had was I had an outside con set of outside contractors 
that were actually doing the coding work and they would come back and say, well, you can't do that because of this. Well, I can't argue with them because I don't know coding. And so I would then have to do a workaround. Okay, that's great. But what if we then did this this way? I knew just enough of how things worked that I knew what I could do and what I couldn't do, what was I was capable of doing and what I wasn't capable of doing. I just didn't know exactly the details and nuts and bolts of exactly how that happened. And so most of the negotiation happened in my own mind of, okay, I, I keep asking, can we do it this way? Can't, I can't find a way around it, right? And you know me, I'm, I'm a, what if we shortcut this? And what if we work around this way? When I ran into, I couldn't go around anymore, I was stopped. That's where I had to say, you know, A, accept that. Is it going to make or break the results of the value that I'm offering with this software to the end user? enough to matter or can I move forward with this if that's the case and that was all negotiation in my own head you know nowadays it's three or four of us sitting around the whiteboard and me drawing up what this thing would look like on the board and then people asking me a ton of questions about well what about this and what would you envision this and how would you think this would work and then coming back two hours later or a day later or a week later saying Okay, we've looked at this and here's what we're capable of doing and here's what we're not capable of doing. And that's a negotiation that I have with them. Okay, what about this and what about that? And by the end, because they're really smart people, by the end of the session, I know what this thing can be. Um, when it was just me, you know, it's just my head, which is a scary person to negotiate with, right? When it's just myself. But, you know, you go back to the question of 65%, why was, you know, when did I decide that was okay? You put so much into it, you think, I have to go to market with something. Is there enough value? And I didn't understand this when I was doing it. I'm, I understand enough now of mindset to better understand why I thought that back then. Back then, I'm like, I just got to make some money out of this. I'm so deep into it. I've got to monetize it. I need to cast some cash flow in this thing. So how, how do I do that? Boy, I sure hope that 65%, and I didn't know what it was 65%. Mm -hmm. I knew that it wasn't exactly everything I wanted, but I knew it was somewhat around, you know, that range. And finding that first person, that first hospital to demonstrate the product to, and for them to say yes, was the validation I needed to continue to move forward. And, and getting their, and, and here's what the great thing was, getting their feedback so about 20% of what I thought it was supposed to be, they didn't want anyway, you know? And so, but what they did say is that's not there, that's not needed, but this is. So that was the first time when that very first customer said, I don't need this, I need that, that I got excited. That was where I knew that this was gonna be something, but that got me excited saying, wow, I can fix that. They're telling me there's their problem here. I can fix that and I can be a hero. I can really add value to them. And so I would spend my energy and time of fixing that because I knew that if I fixed that for them, the next hospital I was going to go to probably had the same issue. I wrote down two words. Um, I wrote down patience and perseverance. And the balance of those two things when you're in the doing phase mm -hmm. of, of it and the discipline to recognize when you need to be willing to lower your threshold to a minimum viable product, right? When you're willing to, because it, it's your baby. Again, this came from your mind. You're trying to turn it into something that's 100%. And I would imagine that it would be difficult, at least initially, to not want to release this thing 
unless you reach an utter amount of perfection in your mind, whatever that is, right? Right. But then you have to balance that out against the perseverance to push through the roadblocks, the perseverance to push through the no, the perseverance to not wait for technology to evolve for two years and you're just you're gonna you're gonna cram this thing home to the market. So it sounds for me that some takeaways for the, for our budding or aspiring entrepreneurs in this phase of it is understand, have the discipline, understand the need for the balance mm-hmm. of patience and perseverance. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I I didn't understand what I was doing when I was in the middle of it. You know, patience and perseverance weren't in the forefront of my mind. It was desperation and I've got to make this work, desperation and passion for I'm not going to let this go. And so that's what, for me, those were the words in my mind that I used. You know, I think it's, it's when you're an early entrepreneur, a lot of what you go by is what you feel. And it's, it's, um, it's your gut, but it's also what drives you is the feeling to do something awesome. And I know how I felt. I didn't know what it meant. And so going back to Elon Musk, starting Tesla was a terrible idea. Absolutely. And, and, you know, probably five years into it, he would have probably said this was a terrible idea, Mm -hmm. but you get so far into it, you can't stop now. Right. And he still had a vision, a passion for a non-emission vehicle. You know, he has this, this passion for this. And so at certain point in time, he he had this gut feeling that this was going to be a success, but he had all those issues on the factory floor. And I read an article of the day, it was talking about, you know, what Tesla went through in 10 years of factory issues of building these things and quality control, you know, all that terrible stuff that he went through has now, now that he's gotten through those is actually put him ahead of Ford, GM, Toyota, you know, because he went through it in a way, it wasn't an expert coming in. They just had to figure out how to do it themselves. And so what they came up with was some out of the box stuff that was even better than what the, you know, big three or big five automakers came up with. So, you know, getting through that and, and, and driving through that, I think it's, you feel that inside that you either have to, or you're not gonna let go of this, that you know that it can be a success, even though everything around you is telling you that, you know, you should be normal and just quit and go back to the other job. To me, that's what that means, is that perseverance is, I'm not gonna let this go. And fortunately, I've never gotten to the point where I did let it go, where it got to be where there were so many roadblocks that I just said, you know what, this is, there's no way this is going to work. All right. Hey, Tim, I think that's a good place to wind this thing down. Um, we're really getting into this thing. I think we should make it a two-part episode. So again, uh, we'll be back with you guys shortly with episode two. And for our listeners, you know, again, we're always looking for feedback on this podcast hit the subscribe button, give us some critical feedback, how we can make this thing better. Go to our website at accessefm.com. Check us out there. Find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook. Give us a like, give us a tweet, give us a thumbs up and appreciate you guys listening.